In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A woman is rushed to the ER in a medical emergency, and during the whole ordeal at one point, she dies and meets God. Am I really going to die? She asks. No, God says, you'll live another 40 years, two months, and eight days. Well, at this instant, the woman snaps back to life, and after such a dramatic improvement, she decides she's going to make the absolute most out of her life, cosmetically. So she gets a facelift and liposuction and gets her teeth fixed and even colors her hair. And once all the cosmetic treatments are finally finished, she leaves the salon and gets hit by a car and gets killed instantly. When she goes up to heaven to meet God, she's absolutely furious. What happened? She asks. What? God says. You died. But you said I wouldn't, you said that I would live another 40 years. Oh, yeah, about that, God says. I didn't recognize you. (laughs) You know, the thing about this joke is that why part of it is funny is because many of us sometimes have this notion that maybe God doesn't always recognize us. That maybe sometimes we don't want God to recognize us. But a large part of that time, we simply just don't think. We don't think about God choosing us, recognizing us, or aligning God's self to walk with us through our life so that we might be drawn closer somehow to God's divine love. We really just don't think about this. It probably stems from some deep aspect of our human nature where we feel we simply believe that we cannot be close to God. The creation story that we hear in Genesis is a good illustration of these behaviors that human beings have towards the divine. After Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they immediately sow fig leaves and they covered themselves. And as the story says, they heard the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and the wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam is afraid for God to see him exactly as he is. He is afraid. He hides. He removes himself from a relationship with God and tries to keep himself from being recognized. The rest of the story in the Old Testament, more or less, is all about God trying to restore a sense of worthiness, a sense of reconciliation, to repair a breach, to give Adam back the relationship that Adam broke. And so we continue with John's gospel today. 
Just like we heard a few Sundays ago about how Jesus, the divine word, comes into the world to live among us and to help us live closer to the very heart of God. Literally, John starts his gospel by painting a new creation story, one where Jesus comes into the world so that we can begin again. And that's where today picks up. Notice the fig tree imagery and the calling by name. The actions of Jesus mirror the actions of God. Jesus is recognizing specific people and calling them into a new life, into a life of discipleship. We only get a glimpse, but God's work of repairing the world through the presence of Jesus begins today. It begins with recognition. It begins with a call. The call Jesus places upon Nathanael is a call into a new life, seeing God working around us in the world, a call that values us in such a way, a call that values us in such a way that no matter what challenges we face, No matter what the powers that be tell us about the quality of our ancestors, of the country of our ancestors' origins, or whatever disparaging voices or insults that we hear from our leadership, or no matter what type of harassment or oppression or racism or prejudice we've encountered, or even more personally, the hurt that we have inflicted upon ourselves. The call that God wants human beings to hear is one of a new world, a new restored world, a new creation. You are part of this call. God notices you and calls you to work for the new creation that Christ's arrival brings. God recognizes you, calls you by name, and says, let's do this. Follow me. But can anything good come out of Nazareth, out of Phoenix, out of Haiti or Africa? Can anything good come out of 1920s racially segregated Atlanta, Georgia? You know the answer. Tomorrow, the nation celebrates the birth of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., pastor, prophet, civil rights leader, and at the heart of it all, follower of Jesus Christ. When Martin Luther King Jr. went to college, it was there at Morehouse in Atlanta that he excelled in his studies, and by the age of 18, he decided to go to Crozier Seminary in Pennsylvania because he felt called by God. He described it as an inner urge to serve humanity. And at the time, at that time, at his age at that time, he firmly believed he would serve the church, in his words, with sermons that have a respectful, that with sermons that serve as a respectful force for ideas. Possibly. But the Dr. King that you and I know was so much more. His call clearly continued to strengthen. 
As the oppression of African Americans worsened, King had to go deeper in his faith. His discernment required a spiritual discipline, a spiritual wisdom that only a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus could offer. He heard a call to serve the greater community. He could not only just preach, he had to help lead people out of oppression and into Christ's new creation, into a free world where all are created equal. But this was tough to navigate. We can learn a lot about Dr. King and the stories that we hear about him when we identify those lesser told stories about what he did not do during times of intense challenge. Dr. King often had to exercise great restraint. He fasted often. He had to discern. He had to see the new creation Christ was calling us to, but he had to be wise. In March 1955, 15-year-old Claudette Colvin refused to give up her seat to a white man on the bus. She was forcibly removed by police. Dr. King was asked to take up her cause, make a national controversy about this, but he chose to wait, to not act. Why? There are competing stories and different accounts, but most likely because Ms. Colvin was underage. He did not want to put her in danger at such young an age. He decided not to act. He had to trust that God would send someone stronger, more resolved, someone who would one day be the springboard of the civil rights movement. And so nine months later, Rosa Parks did exactly the same thing as Miss Colvin. And the rest is history. Just like Jesus going to Galilee to proclaim a new creation, Dr. King left his home in Atlanta many times. He went to Selma, to Montgomery, to Washington, to hundreds of cities, including our very own Phoenix. We know that he came here at least three times. But I want to go back to our gospel, this gospel to hear Christ's call, this call to be part of God's new creation, the restored world as God intended it to be. King understood this because of his faith. The night before he died, King was in Memphis in solidarity with sanitation workers. They were on strike and it wasn't going well. King spoke to the strikers and said, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. The next night, Dr. King was assassinated. King's last words were to request his musician friend Ben Branch to play the hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. And he said, play it really pretty. 
Dr. King answered a call. He answered the call of Jesus in his vocation, follow me. And Dr. King, like many other Christ followers, invited people to come and see. Come and see the kingdom that God has prepared for you. Fifty years later, some of King's dreams have come true, but not all of them. Two thousand years later, after Christ saved us on the cross, some of Jesus' hopes for humanity have come true, but certainly not all of them. But we cannot give up. The kingdom of God is at hand. We can't let go of this call. We must expect God to find us. We must expect God to recognize us. We cannot stop expecting God to be with us wherever we are, whatever we do, wherever we go. As one of my favorite preachers, Peter Gomes, once said, the news is not that we are worse than we think. It is that we are better than we think and better than we deserve to be. Why? Because at the bottom of this whole enterprise is the indisputable fact that we are created, made, formed, invented, patented in the image of good itself. That is what it means. That is how one translates being created in the image of God. It means to be created in the image of goodness itself. People may take everything away from you. They may deprive you of everything you have and value, but they cannot take away from you the fact that you are a child of God and bear the impression of God in your very soul. You cannot be destroyed, and that cannot be denied. Brothers and sisters, you have been called for a holy purpose by Jesus. Your purpose, your very own purpose. Just like Philip, and just like Nathaniel, Jesus has called out for you when you've been sitting under your life's fig tree. The work of Christ's new creation needs you. You might think that you're hiding, but Jesus calls out, calls you out by name to love you, to love you more in the most profound way that you can ever be loved. Jesus recognizes you and calls you to new life. It begins with recognition. It begins with a call. How do you answer?